Okay, first reading is Exodus 29, verse 42 to 46. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the, in, at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Second reading is um, chapter 33, verse 7 to 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent, the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And the final reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, um, to chapter 5, verse 10. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Shono, for reading this three readings so clearly for us this morning. Friends, even as I start, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you that uh, your word speaks to us and that, uh, that uh, we have this privilege of reading your word and looking into it. Pray that you will speak to us 
uh, speak through, uh, through me and that you will, your name will be glorified. Amen. I remember walking into the dentist around this time last year. I was uh, studying at Ridley and I was also a student minister here at St. Jude's in Parkville. Like you do with conversations at the dentist, I was asked, what are you doing? I remember only managing to speak a sentence when my mouth and my conversation was hijacked by the dentist and his <laughs> assistant. And they wondered, why would someone study the Bible? Was it to become a priest? The idea of priest seemed archaic to them. I mean, one of them spoke about doing yoga instead to find mental peace and solace. The others uh, spoke about grow, growing up in a Catholic school and seeing these mysterious men wearing long robes called priests. I don't know what comes to your mind this morning when you hear the word priest. Is it uh, an authority figure in the church? Someone cold, distant, and judgmental? Or is it an image of a caring and listening mentor? Or does the term fill you with disgust and shame due to the historical abuse by some in the clergy? At the outset, if this topic of priests is triggering for you, please don't leave here without speaking to a friend or to those available after service for prayer. We would love to care for you as best as we can. In our passage this, today, Jesus is declared as the great high priest. So we're going to dig into what priesthood is all about, see our surprising need for a high priest, and, and see that we need to trust Jesus as the best possible high priest, thereby enjoying the closeness and the intimacy with God that we couldn't have any other way. So firstly, why priests? Who, who, whose idea was it? With most world religions, there is that recognition that people have lost access to God. While some religions have priests to help with that, others explore ways to escape this world, and, and instead they, they would like to tap into the spiritual realm that they are longing for. In the Bible, we see that the word priest first appeared in relation to Melchizedek. This mysterious Old Testament king and priest who met Abraham in Genesis 14, 18. And up to this point in Genesis, we're not told what is a priest or why a priest is needed. On a side note, today we won't cover Melchizedek, though he's mentioned in our passage. Uh, this is a hard one, and I'm glad to leave it for chapter 7 when, it's, when it'll be addressed there. Uh, but in the Bible, we see that priests were God's idea. They were part of his covenantal plan and sacrificial system. As we, re as we read in Hebrews 5.1, a priest is appointed to represent or mediate between people and God. The reason is there is a separation between God and his people, and it's because of sin. And in Exodus chapter 19, what, what would happen, uh, you know, we see that what would happen if, if, if people approached a holy God without dealing with their sin? Um, 
And in Exodus 19, we see that uh, you know, God is trying to make this covenant with the Israelites to be his people. He invites them to be a nation of priests, a bridge for the world to meet him. But before that, he warns Moses uh, in Exodus 19, 21 to 22. He says, the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they don't force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. So friends, the, the priests are the ones who go between God's wrath and the people after making due sacrifices for their own sins and the sins of the people as shown in Hebrews 5.3. The term high priest is like saying chief priest or head priest. While, while there may be many priests assisting at the temple, we see that only Aaron and his sons were selected and were appointed by God to be high priests. Now, we also saw in our other reading in Exodus 29 that, that we see that, you know, uh, that the sacrifices were needed to deal with our sinful state. And then... Uh, you know, these needed to be made regularly and perpetually. And embedded between these, if, if, if we can have that verse here, embedded between these verses of constant burning sacrifices that seem strange to us, we see in verses 45 to 46, God's deep desire to dwell with his people, for them to know him deeply, to trust in him as their God. So, to recap, High priests are the go-between or the mediators as, God, uh, as per God's own plan or covenant. And as firstly, Hebrews 5.1 puts it, they represent people to God. He appointed them to perform various sacrifices as required by his covenant. Secondly, they represented God to the people, communicating God's response uh, to the people, declaring his blessings or sometimes his judgment on matters of state or individuals. We see in Hebrews 5, 2, they were also meant to draw the ignorant and those going astray back to God, teaching them about God's ways, as it states in Leviticus 10, 11. And as Hebrews 5 puts it, their own vulnerability and struggle with sin gave them the perspective needed to deal gently or pastorally. Friends, the word deal gently in Greek literally means to curb or control one's emotions. This meant caring, yet a firm attitude to dealing with people's sin without being prone to irritation or anger and communicating the truth in love. Therefore, the priests assisted the people to truly meet with God to deal with their sin and assure them that their prayers were heard. So, how does all this affect us living 3,500 years later to when God first instituted this priesthood? Why do we, why do we still need a high priest now that, uh, now that you, you, are, you and I believe in Jesus? 
Friends, to believe in Jesus is to trust him for our salvation. It means to have Jesus as the king and high priest over our lives. We might not realize it, but we still need a mediator to come into God's presence, and Jesus plays that role. Um, recently, I had the privilege of uh, experiencing, uh, um, or rather, being on jury duty. Um, this is the photo of the instructions that is stuck on the door before the jury enters the actual courtroom. We were asked to wait in a side room for the invitation from the judge. And this happened through a person, I mean, curiously called the tip staff, don't ask me why, or the judge's associate. And the judge told us that the jury are similar in function to her. We, the jury, are judges along with her in deciding this case. But many times we, the jury, wondered, has the judge forgotten about us? I mean. But then we were assured when we, when we were back, things are being done in our absence and things are being readied for the jury to hear the case. Friends, before God, you and I are the accused, not the jury. If access to the actual courtroom of humans is limited even for a jury, what about entering the very throne room of God for us, the accused? how lightly we have taken the presence of God and his holiness. So firstly, friends, we see that we need a high priest to meet with God personally, to come into his presence, to truly know him as our God and experience him fully. In the context of the Hebrews passage, uh, we see that verses, in verses 12 and 14 before that, we see it says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates e even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Friends, the writer of Hebrews has just reminded us of God's judgment. He assesses the thoughts and attitudes of our heart Nothing in all creation is hidden in his side. Everything is laid bare. Like Adam and Eve, we stand naked before our all-seeing and all-knowing God. Our sin, our heart, our thoughts, our deep desires are laid bare before our God. Are we, are we going to hide or run into the arms of the one who can deal with our sin? So secondly, friends, the writer of Hebrews wants us to see that we need a high priest to deal with our sin. Our constant uh, sin affects our relationship with God. We are required to deal with it if, uh, if we are to stay in communion with him. We can't just excuse uh, our, uh, our habitual sin and give in to weakness. We need to, you know, we need someone to deal gently with us who can restore that strained relationship with God. 
We can't just rely on our initial confession that we made when we put our trust in Jesus. That's why every Sunday, we model and exercise a posture of confession during the service. For God's word continues to shine a light to some of our sinful, hardened paths. It helps us assess things for what they truly are. We constantly discover, as, we, as, as God's word does this, the many half-truths that the devil has led us to believe. We're, we're also confronted by a constant striving for self-gratification and autonomy from God. So thirdly, we need a high priest to keep us in communion with our holy God. God's throne of judgment becomes a throne of grace only when we come with the help of a high priest. The writer of Hebrews wants us to take a true look at ourselves. If we ignore the true state of our lives, we are only parading around like the emperor and his new invisible clothes. God doesn't leave us in our nakedness and need. He already provided. Therefore, the writer now takes time to impress on us that we have been given through Jesus a high priest. Friends, Hebrews 4, 14 to 15 says, Therefore, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, who, who, uh, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Friends, when we put our faith in Jesus, we have in Jesus a great high priest. We, we, we need this Jesus to be our great high priest because only he can truly help us. And he is the best high priest for us. Hebrews is a book that teaches about maturity in Christ. There is a call for greater renewal, fellowship with our Heavenly Father. But sadly, one way we default to behaving as Christians is to think we've arrived. We got our passport and ticket, and so now we live life in shallow dedication to God. We treat access to God's grace uh, and forgiveness cheaply, excusing habitual sin and limiting God's rule over our life living distracted in life's worries, and never truly communing with God. We might have our moments of crisis, and suddenly there's a form of godliness that doesn't last. Alternatively, some of us strive in our own strength, but we get beaten down by life's pain and struggles. It, it all seems so hard. We walk around, sulking in bitterness, bewildered. Why is life so hard? We feel weak and defeated. As this passage shows us today, our weakness and struggle are known to Jesus. 
try as we might, we will never be able to perfectly obey God. In Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of God's, uh, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Instead of giving up in, uh, and giving into temptation, the writer invites us to come to Jesus as a high priest. We need him, his help in our time of need. So what makes Jesus better than all the other human high priests? Firstly, it's his greatness. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we process. Uh, we profess. Only Jesus has ascended into heaven. He is the sinless pioneer who has experienced this life so that we can, uh, and so he can enter God's presence by his own right. He doesn't need a tip staff or a, or a judge's associate, but now he can serve God in his heavenly sanctuary. He is the capital S son of God. Who has, who has created us, who constantly sustains us and is the heir of all things. He knows each one of us intimately, our weakness, our vulnerability, and our abilities. Having lived this life and faced all its temptations, he is able to deal gently and empathize with us. It is not just words or feelings of empathy alone. He offers a way out. Help to overcome our struggles when we fail. And, and when we fail, there is mercy. There is, there is new grace for the next hurdle. Mercy to leave behind the past and not let the guilt of that tie us down but truly enjoy God's complete forgiveness and grace to carry on when we can't. His strength in our weakness. Friends, he's never late or out of reach. He's always available. If only we would carry our burdens to him. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So let us come and enjoy God's presence. Maybe a part of you 
is, is, is ridden with guilt, unable to even forgive yourself, how can this perfect, sinless Jesus accept me, a wicked sinner? How can I go back after all I have done? Friends, our God is not, he's not a judgmental, distant, nasty, petty, you know, lashing out in, in anger against our sin. No, he is a father who, who welcomes the prodigal son. His arms are open to receive us. He says in Isaiah 1:18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though uh, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Friends, none of this came easily. We see how Jesus felt in, in his life on earth in Hebrews 5, 7 to, uh, uh, 7 to 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. This son of God was in tears, crying to his father to save him. He felt the full force of every temptation and sin. He felt temptation all his life and never ever gave in. The temptation to lie, to covet for more, to lust, to gossip, and the list goes on. This also meant not retaliating to sin and evil that confronted him constantly. Not giving up on his, disciples, his own disciples who were quick to desert him. Yet he chose to suffer and die at the hands of cruel men. God's word says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he has paid the price for our sins once and for all time so that, so that, so that nothing is left but to come and enjoy friendship and fellowship with him and the Father. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum, maybe today you feel like Job, forgotten, distant from God due to the, maybe a loss of a loved one or unanswered prayers and, and silence from God in the midst of your suffering. The pain and the stress of sickness is overwhelming. And you wonder, does anyone actually get me? What I'm going through? Job cries out in Job 9, 32 to 34. He's, he's talking about himself and God. He says, he is not a mere mortal like me that, I'm, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that that, that terror, his terror would frighten me no more. Friends, we do have a mediator in Jesus. Even Job saw this 
Later, even though his circumstance hadn't changed one bit, he says in Job 16, 19 to 21, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Friends, Job recognized an intercessor and a friend in heaven. He sees his circumstances for what it is and is pleading with God as one pleads for a friend. As we come to Jesus and pour our, our hearts out, our hard circumstances that might not change, but Jesus assures us that we will find grace for the moment. Strength to carry on another day. Like Job, let us persevere in our conversation with him. In the midst of the cares and the worries of this world, we will find hope and joy in God's presence. Like Moses, Jesus invites us to come face to face with him, to know him personally, to enjoy his abiding, soul-refreshing presence in our lives. Dear family of God, this Jesus is the one who is the perfecter of our faith. As it says in Hebrews 2.11, he is the one who makes us holy. As we cling to him, he will help us. He will bring us and keep us secure in a relationship with God. Like Moses, we can share friend, uh, this friendship face to face with God our Father. I, I, I love this picture that um, Andrew Malone the Old Testament and the New Testament lecturer here at Ridley College uses to explain this. If you would um, close your eyes and imagine with me, he say, he asks you, he asks you to imagine, you're like one of the guests in a huge royal banquet in heaven, feeling distant and out among the crowds. Suddenly you see Jesus. And he walks up to you. He grabs you by his hand. He then marches you straight into the heavenly palace from the outer courtyard, past his royal hall, with all, with all his saints, and into his inner throne room, right in front of God the Father. And he says, Dad, here is Charlie. You and him have some business to take care. He needs you. This is the personal, one-on-one, -on -one, deep, abiding, soul-refreshing presence of God that Jesus wants to offer you. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, Shall we pray and ask God for that confidence? Because he is the one who is going to take us in. He is the one who will give us that moment, uh, that moment by moment daily experience of his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you. Oh, what a privilege, oh Father. Oh, what a privilege to come into your presence. Lord, your psalmist cries, better is one day in your courts than thousand elsewhere.
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than just be outside. Please, Lord, help me to come. Forgive me because many times the distractions of life just keep me away. Please, Lord, help me to seek you when sin and worries overwhelm me. Jesus, thank you that you empathize, that you are there. Oh, Lord, we love you.